fiction, science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino. John Copenhaver and our one third on Kansas. 106.5 FM Los Angeles. 102.3 FM Riverside. And 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the house of mystery. I'm Al Warren, Mr. Dave Karate Teabags Dollar Store <laughs> Martino. All my names. You're you're just all of it. Do you realize how you you know when you go to the dollar store? Do you have like a plan when you have? No, I'm I'm not somebody who has a plan now. You don't have a plan. No, (laughs) no plan. Well, then how how are you supposed to? I was thinking about this, and why wouldn't you? uh, You should get it. I thought you'd be playing chess professionally, but if you don't have a plan, how are you ever going to be a professional chess player? Where'd the chess thing come from? Well, because I was seeing in the news. Every time I see a news report, I think of you. Really? In it. Yeah. Oh. Weird, eh? Um, <laughs> but, you know, because those chess players, remember a while ago, and one got accused of cheating and back and forth, and now they're saying that he actually had, you know how he cheated at the chess game? Yeah. Yeah. He, 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 but he had vibrating beads oh. up his bum. <laughs> And it, I guess it gave oh. him a way of knowing. Hans Neiman, whatever. I didn't know you had to have a reason for this. Well, you don't, but I'm just <laughs> saying that. So you could probably use this in your playing of chess. Okay. <laughs> Perfect, but I'll get caught. No, no, because it's been done. They'll nope. never think of it. Oh, they'll never. Oh, okay. That makes sense. But you know, yeah. Because anyway, he was on he was on Pierce Morgan, and he 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 stuck beads up his up his bum, and he was cheating in in order to win. But I I okay. I liked it. So you could do that at karate. You could do that at everything. Yeah, I like to see that. But where do you, where do you stick the beads in? Anyway, I don't, I don't know what to say to that. Yeah, yeah, I know. I, I freaked you out, didn't I? Got you. No, no. See, we're talking I'm horror. used to this. Yeah, I'm we're used to this. <laughs> <laughs> well, how else do we bring in a horror writer? No, so we've got a uh, new visitor to the show, and he writes horror. His latest book, Lucky's Girl, and it's a classic novel of cosmic horror. So, Mr. William Holloway, thank you for being here. Well, thank you for having me. I wasn't sure if he'd be there still. <laughs> run away, run away. You know, yeah. I, I was, you know, everything was cool. And then the, the thing with the beads happened. And <laughs> yeah. I was, I have so, so many questions. You know, I had like all these cool things I was going to say. And then the beads happened. And I'm, I'm, I tend to do that. I'm going yeah, to have to wing it now. Yeah, um, I tend to do that. I, I, I usually do it on purpose so that I take away people's. You know, they're pre-rehearsed yeah. things. <laughs> now, 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 yeah, you're kind of thinking of beads now. I'm wondering, did it were like Morse code or something? Yeah, that's <laughs> okay. you see, but you, you see, but you see, that's kind of it. But in a way, you see what what I'm thinking about. This is the way I think. Oh no, <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> no, I'm thinking that, okay, so so here you and I are sitting down, and you're playing chess, world champion. You're playing the world champion, because this is the big, big game. So you and I both decide that you cannot beat the world champion. So how are we going to cheat? How is it that I'm going to give you signals of what you can and can't play? How did they come up with beads up the ass? You know, they may have been doing something else which prompted them to to this solution to their quandary. You know, oh. There may have been pre-existing usage of beads. And oh. um, from that point forward, beads became part of the arsenal. <laughs> arsenal, good word. Arsenal, yes. <laughs> you should be a writer. <laughs> That's what they say, yes. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm just telling you, it's something to think about, okay? Because that was a really good word at the right time. That's something I would use. Now that we've got you all broke down and ready, what brought you into the world of writing, but not only just writing, but writing horror? So uh, it's kind of a, a long story there, but, um, you know, I've, I've been a lifelong horror reader. I was working in – I had a brief – brief stint in film in the 90s i uh i went out to la and worked for this guy who's a visual effects supervisor for horror movies i didn't end up staying i just did not like la and and it really bothered me that people were spending as much money making movies as they did so my notion was to come back home write a screenplay that is specifically designed to be shootable on a reasonable budget with, um, you know, and being able to take all that money and put it up on the screen and make something that, which is, you know, really coherent, really real, really scary, and really unexpected. So I started writing this thing. I was going to be giving it in pieces to my friend who's a screenwriter. And he said, well, B Bill, this is, not a, uh, this is not a treatment for a screenplay. This is a novel you're writing. And I'm like, novel? I that can't be. I don't write novels. I don't know anything about writing novels. Well, I wrote it, and it, it didn't turn out to a, be a novel, but it did turn out to be a novella, and my friend did adapt it to a screenplay. So, you know, I, uh, at that point, you know, as a younger man running out of money, so I'm going to get a real job, I'm going to be a real person, and I got into the corporate world, and 10 years later, uh, was really kind of at my wit's end with a lot of things, and I just started writing again. And I ended up writing my first uh, my first two novels. Uh, one is called the first one is called The Immortal Body, and uh, the second one is called Song of the Death God. And that is a series which is uh, not yet complete. I've got one more book to write in that. I've written the third novel. It's complete. It's edited. But um, I'm kind of in search of just the right publisher for this, and um, or I'm going to do self-pub, not real sure. But anyway, I started writing, the intent was to write a treatment for a screenplay, and I just ended up writing a novel, or novella, rather. Do you have, um, you know, something in mind when you put together a horror book? Like, I, I, know, I know there's something in mind, but do you have kind of a, a reason or a theme? that you want to write about in a horrific way? You, you know, I, I've never actually, um, like, plotted out a book. I've never actually, you know, done anything like that. Um, I just have, you know, in my mind, stories. 
And before I started writing, I never quite understood why I, I would make up a story to go along with everything and anything. And, you know, everybody else would be going about their day and I'd be in my head about this story that's happening. So, yeah, it's, 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 I, I just have a kind of an endless story maker in my head. And uh, I just sit down and kind of start writing. Now, I have a general idea of when, where I'm going with it, uh, and because the stories themselves are sometimes rather expansive. Um, but they change along the way. You know, the, uh, the, the current one I'm writing, you know, everything about it changed, uh, you know, in, in kind of a, a, a split second. And all these elements came together to be a completely different story. So um, I don't plot it out. I'm, you know, they say there's plotters and there's pantsers. I'm kind of a pantser. So that's my version. And I'm sticking with it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, if I had pants, I would be a pantser. <laughs> Why uh, cosmic horror? What about that subgenre attracts you? I think that, you know, uh, in my life, you know, there was uh, kind of a couple things that came together all at once. Um, was the discovery of H.P. Lovecraft. Oh, God, this sounds bad. Um, and, uh, you know, discovery of drugs and uh, discovery of, uh, you know, music that was more complex than punk rock. All of these pieces, you know, came together and um, these stories started forming in my head. And these stories are uh, cosmic horror stories. Uh, I seem to kind of, I'm, I'm not saying that I'm completely one note, but um, they, so far they're all pretty much cosmic horror. But uh, I would say this, that they're, they're, there's, it's, it's, a, it's a much broader canvas than people might think uh, just reading Lovecraft or uh, Clark Ashton Smith or something like that. Well, how would you describe cosmic horror? Like, what would that entail? And and that's that's for the old people in the audience like me. <laughs> God, this is that like freezing moment when somebody asks you to to define something that you know. It's like that that Supreme Court justice said when they were talking about the difference between art and porn. Um, you'll know it when you see it. It's it's really, really hard to put your finger on it, but one of the things you'll find is, is kind of a lack of gen of uh, standard horror um, antagonists, uh, standard protagonists, and um, any kind of um, rooting in, in Judeo-Christian mythology uh, like you're going to see with... You know, your gothic horror stuff like uh, Frankenstein and uh, and Dracula uh, or Jules Verne even. It's, and it, it, it's also rooted in an idea that the universe itself is something of an antagonist, that it is an innately hostile place, and it is out to kill you. So, so they're happy books. I have, the, the term that people use is nihilism. Um, now, I personally do not see myself as a nihilist. I, I think that it's not a happy way to be and uh, will not lead to happiness. Uh, on the other hand, I, I believe that I was kind of actually born that way, and it's actually something I struggle against, even though one might take away from my writing that I am something of a nihilist. So now the characters then... Are they quite a bit different then when you write characters for a cosmic horror than they are for a standard horror or some other drama or something? They don't have to be. They, no. they, they don't have to be. Um, the, the, the characters exist in a very 
kind of a very real world and are confronted by something that most of the time they cannot even accept is happening because we have such an attachment to reality. You know, there's the idea that if you were, you know, if, you know, if, if a ghost was to go into your field of vision, that you might not even see it because your brain not might not even be able to process it. Yeah, they're ordinary people faced with something that is that def that defies the rules of reality itself. Maybe that's a good way to put it. So, how do you come up with your characters then? Like, where do they come from? Most of my characters are sort of hapless people caught in the jaws of of something horrible. I would say that that's, uh, with the exception of uh, Karsten in Song of the Death God, uh, most of them have kind of very little agency to really deal with what they are facing other than to just move forward regardless of the consequences. So, so how, how do you describe your relationship with your characters? You know, there's, there's, uh, there's this idea that when you dream that every character in the dream is actually you or an aspect of yourself. I think that every character in a novel is kind of the same way and that writing itself is very much like kind of just, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's kind of like throwing up while you're dreaming. It's, um, it just ends up on the paper instead of stuck in your head. Well, how do you, how do you experience your characters with, um, like, do you see them? I know, like, Thomas Ligotti, who's another cosmic writer, cosmic horror writer, he says he sees his stories kind of like in a series of photographs. Um, do, you, do you visualize um, what you're writing? Do you hear your characters? Uh, do you have an inner monologue? How does it work for you? It's a movie. I'm watching a movie and transcribing it. Um, I'm kind of also writing the movie, but kind of also not writing the movie. Uh, but I, I am transcribing the movie in the, in the best way I can. I, I think that, at least for me, there's the story sometimes steers itself. The characters steer themselves, and, and you know, I'm just kind of describing it. Um, I, I wish I could have a, a, a less, you know, phony-sounding answer than that, but it's kind of true. I know a lot of writers say that, but um, and, and I have trouble believing them when they say that, but uh, I, I, I have found it to also be true myself. Well, I always have beads up my, my ass and it vibrates <laughs> and the characters tell me. That's how they come across to me, but that's, we all have our own way. You know, the, the long is the way and hard is the path that out of darkness leadeth up into light. Those poor beads, that's all I can say. You got me at hard. Um, listen, <laughs> so, which came first, but was it, did you, did you have a series or a couple or even one character first and then you then you came up with what they were going to go through to create the story, or did you have the actual template or idea for what your horror was going to be, and then you created characters to fill them? So, so for Lucky's Girl, um, I wrote that out of the experience of writing uh, The Immortal Body and Song of the Death God. I had written those two and come away from the experience realizing that as a novice writer, uh, trying to trying to bite off this this series of books, four novels or more longer, is a hard sell for new readers. That uh, you know what you want is a standalone novel, not in a series. 
And maybe I was being too ambitious, but, you know, the story was there. The story is still there. So what I do in between writing books is I write the book, I set it aside, I pick up On Writing by Stephen King, and I reread it. Now, he proposes uh, that you shouldn't think about things in terms of plot. You should think about them in terms of situation. Ask yourself a question like, well, what happens when a town gets taken over by a vampire? And you begin from that kind of situation, and then you fill in the gaps, and it becomes this much more expansive thing. So with Lucky's Girl, I was just like, well, if Stephen King can say, what happens when a town takes over, gets taken over by vampires? I can just say, well, what happens when a town gets taken over by werewolves? It, it sounded like kind of like a very, very cookie-cutter idea, but it began to fill itself out. And the characters began to form. Uh, very specifically, the character of Lucky. Lucky, uh, Lucky, he is a, a hyper-charismatic evangelical preacher turned cult leader who has a, uh, a secret life in which he is communing with um, the Wendigo that is uh, actually on an island in the, in the, in the, in the lake near town. Uh, inside this ancient tree and is struggling to get out um, and has been there for thousands of years. So through um, animal sacrifice, uh, Lucky uh, connects with the Wendigo. Um, he doesn't refer to it as the Wendigo. You never actually hear the word Wendigo, but it's the Wendigo. And, and that's where he started. I, I came up with the idea that this would also kind of work structurally, sort of like a Stephen King novel, um, that, you know, you would go back to this earlier time, this, there would be a story there, and then you would come back to the present, and there would be the denouement of the story. Um, so that's how it's structured. It's always an interesting process, right, putting together a book or a story, and and I like to try and understand it as horror, something I don't do, but I like horror. I just don't. I just like to see how you put it together. And, uh, and what, what makes a good horror for you? Like when you're reading a story or a book or seeing a movie or anything like that, what to you keeps you going and even rereading it or rewatching it? There's got to be something completely out of the blue about it. There's got to be something bigger happening than just some random vampire or werewolf. That vampire or that werewolf, there's nothing random about that. There is an entire history behind that. There is a world in and of itself behind that. And that world itself is part of a much bigger, much more threatening universe. So I'd say a very good example of that would be, did you ever see Event Horizon? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That, I think, is one of the best examples of cosmic horror that I've, I've seen on screen. Cosmic horror is really hard to adapt to the screen, but they, they really knocked it out of the park with that one. And there, there's just there's just a bigness to the story. There's just a thing about it which is threatening at every level. And I think that's one of the cool things about cosmic horror is it does not care about your immortal soul. It doesn't care about your body. It doesn't care about any of it. You're doomed. So that's, that's, that's what I like about cosmic horror. Well, you know, you mentioned werewolves. How much are you pulling from mythology to uh, creature creatures and, and, and what's been done before? And um, how much uh, are you diverting from that? 
Well, the werewolves uh, in this one, um, spoiler alert here, they are very, very unconventional. Basically, Lucky's cult and Lucky's ideology is about returning man to his primal animal state because this uh, the, the consciousness itself is kind of this, this mistake that that, um, that the, the real intended place of man is as an animal. In Lucky's Girl, part of the component of this is, is this uh, pack of wolves, which uh, one of the things that, that led to the, me writing this story was reading this little newspaper clip about uh, how in the Upper Peninsula of Michigan, wolves have, have reappeared and were just tearing. Uh, you know, just a bloody path through certain parts of of uh, of the Upper Peninsula, basically eating everybody's pets and things like that. So I thought about this, and then I thought about the re- reintroduction of wolves, and the two notions kind of came together about man returning to his animal state at the same time that the wolves appear. And basically in this, the the humans because of this cult brainwashing return to such a disgusting primal state that they actually do become animals. And uh, they do become these werewolves, essentially. And, um, you know, they're, they're both horrible and tragic and pretty, pretty horrifying, if I may say so. So, so is there a lot of violence in the book? And if there is, did you, are you conscious or you think about how you write the violent scenes? Violence is, is, is a tough one. I don't like a lot of what they call splatterpunk or extreme horror. I, I don't think that it's, you know, like an invalid, you know, in form or that it's not art or whatever. It's just not my particular taste. I don't want a play-by-play of, of the violent stuff because that doesn't scare me. It doesn't really even interest me. The portrayal of violence, as far as I am concerned, should be you pull back the curtain you show somebody something so horrifying they can't even wrap their head around it, and then you slam the curtain back in place. Um, the devil's footprints are generally a whole lot scarier than the devil himself. So that's kind of my thought about violence. Now, in Lucky's Girl, I mean, I cannot say that there is zero play-by-play of the violence because there is one scene in which there is a bit of play-by-play, but I don't drag it out. I, I think it's handled... Fairly tastefully, as as truly distasteful as aspects of this of this story are, I think that that scene is is handled kind of as tastefully as maybe was possible, uh, given that it's a, essentially a human sacrifice while the person is still alive. Well, so when you're writing the the bad or the evil characters throughout a book, if, do you find that easy to to fit into that headspace and write it? Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, evil people and evil motivations are not, you know, they're not foreign to me. I think they're probably not foreign to ever, anyone. We really do know what makes evil people tick. And sometimes, you know, when I wrote the character of Lucky, the thing that makes Lucky evil is that he is charismatic and he exploits it. I remember, um, it, it's interesting, um, when you think about, say, probably shouldn't touch this one, but certain politicians and their career. <laughs> um you know, it's, it's some people can just walk into a room and own that room. You know, everybody knows somebody like that, that, that is just, just has this ability to walk into a room and just own it. So there's this story a friend told 
he's a he's a Democrat big shot here in town. This was back during the the the, the Bush administration. And his brother was saying something like, oh, blah, blah, Bush is a moron, whatever. And his brother said, no, he's not. He could walk into this room right now, sit down at this table, and he would have you eating out of his hand in five minutes. He just has a certain kind of charisma and an ability to influence people. The same could easily be said for Barack Obama. The guy is just wildly charismatic. So what do you do when somebody is wildly charismatic to the point where they, you know, their effect on other people is as if they have a goddamn remote control. What do you do with people that charismatic? What happens when people who are that charismatic don't have other people's interests in mind? So charisma is a very, very big part of this story. And um, just this understanding that there really are charismatic people out there and they can be very, very dangerous. Yeah, it's interesting. So, how do you create your dialogue then? Are you are you kind of step do, stepping into this, or do you take yeah uh, people that you see, you, I, know, you, you know, kind of both, both. Um, one thing that uh, you know, when I was first quote unquote learning to write, I I'd written the Immortal Body and finished it, and I took it over to my friend's house, who had originally helped me with the screenplay ten years before. And uh, he handed me back a, a, a pile of books. Um, one of them was uh, by an author uh, named Thomas Piccarilli. And he said, this is how you write prose. This is how you write dialogue. And another thing you need to do is you need to go out in public. And you need to eavesdrop on people's conversations. Listen to what people really say in their unguarded moments and write that. And I think in a way... That can be some of the most honest writing there is if you are simply quoting people verbatim. Now you're taking the quotes out of context because you're putting it in your horror story, but, you know, you want the real thing. Quote real people having real conversations. Right. So if we see you in a coffee shop, we should leave. It's, it is very, very possible. <laughs> uh, yes. Um, they might call HR. Yeah, yeah. You're just like <laughs> listening to everyone. There's that creep over there. He keeps on. He never leaves. He's been here eight hours. He keeps listening to everyone. Well, you got to wear headphones when you do it, and just not have any music on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see. It doesn't look so obvious. See, he's got it down. Now, the, 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 <laughs> the important thing is to remember that what they're talking about ain't important at all. It's how they say it. Right. If you can dial in those little nuances. That's um, that's a big deal. Well, that's the part of um, the character that becomes real, because you know, the, I don't know. I think the most important part of of a story is the characters, right? People either love or hate them, but they've got to feel something for the character. And if they don't sound real or talk real, or if they say things that sound, I don't know, stupid or out of place, you lose interest. You know, I think so. It's very key. Yeah, the only, the only place you can get away with really bad, you know, just completely stilted dialogue, I think, is in, like, fantasy stuff, you know, um, yeah. where, you know, Lord Elrond makes some grand declaration. Other than that, with, <laughs> with real stuff, like, you know, specifically, like, mysteries and thrillers and, and uh, you know, certain kinds of horror, you know, you, you do need to stick with the, the grit of reality. You know, uh, it, certain characters can stick with people generation after generation, you know, like Sherlock Holmes or oh, yeah. something like that. Do, do you aim for that in your character? Or it, it, what do you think it is that creates that 
longevity in certain characters. I think they have something you want. Everybody wants to be Sherlock Holmes. Everyone wants to be Fox Mulder, you know. Um, now, they might not want everything that goes along with it, but who wouldn't want to be Fox Mulder or or some, you know, you think about some iconic uh, character, for whatever reason, like Luke Skywalker just came to mind. But, yeah, I mean, if you can write a really iconic character, hats off to you. That's awesome. But, again, that's kind of part of world building, and they've got to fit in that world or it won't work so have you ever killed off someone you know well um yeah pretty much oh there we go okay so let's get some names and phone numbers <laughs> and we'll give them a call well um you know my, my characters are, are at least partially a composite and, and i don't know how other people write their characters but i suspect it's the same way for them too in lucky's girl lucky is i think a bad guy that you know all of us know to at least an extent in our life, because we have all, in one way or another, been taken advantage by somebody that we trusted. And when we look back on that trust, there was never really any basis to trust that person to begin with. But they took advantage of you. And very often, you look back at your mistakes, they have taken advantage of you over and over and over again. And you're simply unable to see it in the moment. But in retrospect, you're like, how on earth did this person rob me blind, walk all over me, and then just walk out the door like nothing happened? That's an amazing thing. And kind of an amazing feat of how we, we manage to live with that fact. So Now, in your book here, in Lucky's Girl, now that you've explained it more, uh, and you're, you're not like the plotter, so you haven't planned it out, but as you wrote it and you, you've completed it, um, I can't help but think there is a subtext or a meaning to it, and it probably came organically as you were putting it together. Um, do you think that's true? I, 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 I would say so, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I would say that um, of my writing, uh, Lucky's Girl is the only one that I, or one of the few ones that I would say has a, a quote-unquote happy ending. Um, now, other people would definitely not describe that as a happy ending, but it's less unhappy than my other stories, maybe. <laughs> it's relative to where you're where you're at, I guess. Yeah, there's there's, <laughs> you know, I, I I talked earlier about how you know I'm I'm not into what people call you know splatterpunk or extreme horror. One thing about my writing is that uh, the tone of it. Uh, although I may not do those very violent things, there is a, a kind of tone to it that, just tonally speaking, people have said that there should be trigger warnings and whatnot on what I write, um, just from the overall darkness of it. Well, do, do you find any challenges writing long-form cosmic horror, as opposed to doing it, let's say, in, in the short form, like either uh, sustaining a sense of dread or even sustaining the tone? That, that's, that's, that's actually a really, really good question there. Within cosmic horror, most people actually write short stories. If you were to, to look, at, uh, look at that, and, and they write a whole lot more short stories than they, they do novels, and they write a lot of them. I've never actually written a short story. Um, I tried to write a short story, and it turned into a, a novella. I, I think that I manage or, or somehow thread that needle in that I do write cosmic horror, and it is longer form. Um, lately. I've been focusing on uh, novellas. Now, when I, when I write a novella, it's going to be every bit as elaborate as a novel. 
But lately, one of the things I've been trying to do with prose is to make the prose as absolutely efficient as possible. And when you get to the sort of um, exposition that cosmic horror is famous for, you you have to do a lot of painting with negative space. That's the best way I can put it. There are things that are implied, and in so doing, I think, think you're actually leveraging the most powerful tool you can leverage, and that's the imagination of the reader. You don't give them everything. You make them fill in the blanks, and you always leave them wanting more. So that's what I've been focusing on, on lately. I've, I've written a couple novellas here recently that aren't, aren't published yet, and I, I read one of them the other day, and I was just really, really happy with how it turned out, because there is a novel worth of material, a whole lot of story going on there in very few words. And that's quite a trick, to be able to do that. Yeah, it's, it's, it's you know, it's something mostly that you end up doing on the back end. You just get the story down, and then you rewrite every single sentence to to be able to be made efficient, and then on that, that next pass, you remove every single word that is not absolutely necessary. And what you end up with is a is a is this kind of um it's like somebody uh you know you you're 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 definitely you have greased the skids for this story. It goes very fast. People read the entire thing and they're sort of like that was a whole lot all at once. And I think that actually works really well um for what I write uh because I do like and want people to, when they walk away from the story, have this kind of blunt force trauma thing going on that, um, you know, you got. Do you remember how it was when you walked out of the theater the first time when you watched The Exorcist? I never saw it in the theater. <laughs> Hellraiser. Did you see Hellraiser in the theater? No. Okay. Well. Um, they don't let me out much. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, these, 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 are, these, are, these, are, these are movies that, that people, you know, are kind of shaken by. And, and it is my intention that when you read something that I have written, that you will be affected. There is no such thing in my universe as as something which is not going to knock you off your feet at least a little. So you like to disturb people? Absolutely. I don't like to gross people out. I don't like to, you know, I've never understood, you know, being afraid of a dude with a knife. I, I've never understood that. I want... Not just to upset, but I want you to be truly disturbed by what you read. And very often, it's even better if you can't even put your finger on why. So how long have you wanted to hurt people? Uh, most of my life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I never saw The Exorcist in the theater because I was too young. They, like, you know, it, my parents wouldn't have let me go. I think I was, what was it, in 73 or something, wasn't it? Oh, I, I you know, I didn't see it in the theater either, but... um you know, um, that's just the reference. So what's next? What do you got going now? How long are you work? Do you always have projects going? Yeah, pretty much. So Lucky's Girl is, is the latest release. What I will have, I, I've got several unpublished things. So I'm looking for homes for some of them. Uh, on the calendar right now is uh, the follow-up uh, book of uh, The Abyssal Plane. And that is due for in March and uh, will be uh, called Black Seas of Infinity after the uh, Love, Lovecraft quote from um, 
shoot. I guess that was Call of Cthulhu now that I think about it. Yeah. So that'll be in March. I have got to finish up the novel I'm writing right now because that is kind of, um, as far as novels go, it's really, 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 really ambitious. And uh, I've just got to, I've got to finish that, get that big rock out of the way. I've also got another novel that's halfway written that I've got to finish up, which is also exceedingly ambitious. So yeah, March, as far as I know, is going to be is going to be the next release. But I think I should have at least one novel out, new novel out next year. I'm going to be republishing, um, like I said, when I find a publisher or do it uh, self-pub, uh, The Immortal Body and Song of the Death God. I've got the third book written in that called Shadow Church, and then I've got to write the fourth novel uh, in that in that series. So I can't wait to be done with that. Um, so I would suppose that if, if I had any advice to give uh, new writers, whatever you do, don't write a series. Don't do that. No. Write standalone. <laughs> You don't like series as much. It's just too too long, too hard. Well, it's 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 too long of a commitment when it comes down to it, uh, especially when it's your first thing. Uh, because you know you write a standalone novel, and they're like, "Well, why didn't you write the next novel to this?" And then if you write the next novel in the series, they're like, "Why didn't you write a standalone novel?" So it's 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 a tough spot to be in in in, in that way. Do you like the publishing world the way it is now? I mean, I like the publishers that I'm with now. Um, Journalstone. You know, it's absolutely great. Uh, you know, it's uh, it's great to be able to ask your editor questions before you actually make the mistakes. And that's uh, what's really cool about Scarlet at, at Journalstone. Uh, Weird House, uh, that's who's publishing uh, Lucky's Girl, is just absolutely great. Uh, so I like the publishers that I'm with. Um, I have heard all kinds of horror stories about publishers and... I came close to experiencing one one time, but I pulled my my work before it turned into a horror story. So I think I've dodged a lot of bullets when it comes to publishing. Um, you know, I've never done things like write a submission letter. I've never done that. I don't have an agent. I think that I, I just you know know. Um, I think the right people who want to work with somebody like myself reputationally. And it's just kind of a natural fit without all the acrobatics that are involved with a lot of, uh, unfortunately, with a lot of other publishing. Right, right. If you if you sleep your way there, you don't need to do all that. Something like that, yeah. <laughs> that's that's great. So listen, where do people find you? Are you are you readily available? Do you go out to uh, bars, or do you have like a social media a website? Um, what wh where do you like to interact with readers? Um, Facebook. I know that's kind of lame sounding. Um, the it's Facebook, but on Facebook there's a page called Books of Horror, and that is has become uh, kind of the go-to site for all things indie and non-indie horror. Um, it's a it's a really great great resource, and there's people who love horror there. It's it, it's for and by people who love horror. And, I, and that is where I do most of my interaction. I have my own uh, Facebook page. I don't even have an author page. I don't have a website. I just do that. As far as buying my stuff, it's available on Amazon. I know that uh, at some Barnes & Noble, they've got some of my stuff stocked. But uh, I've never seen it myself, but I've been sent pictures. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's great when people send pictures. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, this is fascinating. It's always good to talk to a horror writer, and uh, you're one of them. I am one. Yeah, I really appreciate it. And, of course, we'll have everything up on our website so people can find you easily. Right on. Um, all the information and, and the book, Lucky's Girl, and it's a classic novel of cosmic horror. And we've had the author, William Holloway. So thank you for coming on the show. Anytime. Thanks, William. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Yeah. Good night. This is a production of Sunday Media. I'll be back.